Hey folks, Ben here. Just before this episode starts, I want to let you know that uh, the audio for my guest is not amazing on this episode. Unfortunately, we did not have his recording configured correctly, so we were using the wrong microphone. So it's a little hard to hear him. It's not quite to our normal uh, standards of audio quality. So I just wanted to say, apologize for that. Uh, we'll do better in the future. The good news is the last 15 minutes or so switches over to his correct microphone, and so it will improve if you can make it through the beginning parts. So hope you enjoy. Thanks. Hello there. Hello, Ben. How's it going? Good, man. How you doing? <laughs> doing good. Just saw you a couple days ago in Vegas. I know. Uh, you're not Derek, though. I'm not. I yeah. could act like Derek, though. I'll, yeah, I'll, would I'll you? I'll try. <laughs> it would make me more comfortable if I felt more familiar. <laughs> right. I, I got to find some glasses or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Derek uh, texted me today, and as he alluded to in, in the last episode, he is moving. So he is otherwise busy. So uh, this is Brian, Brian Castle of Bootstrapped Web and Process Kit and Audience Ops and Sunrise KPI fame. And I'm psyched uh, you're, you're co-hosting with me today. Yeah, looking forward to it. Always a fan. Yeah. Oh, thanks. How was MicroConf? Yeah, I had a good time. I, you know, I, I've been on your show, what, once, once or twice before? And like every time it's actually the same day that I was listening to you. So I was listening to you guys this morning and you were talking about MicroConf. And I heard sort of a similar thing from you as well as other friends of ours where it's always enjoyable. I continue to want to go back every year. It's kind of like an annual gathering of, of all of our people. But yeah, something about the talks or the, just the format. I See, I know you didn't go to the talks or most of them. I actually did. And I, and I do enjoy seeing some talks, especially from people that I haven't seen before. It's sort of a nice change of pace, especially because I don't go to a lot of big conferences. This is sort of the, the only one that I try to make it out to. But something about the talks this year for me didn't quite hit the mark like they did in previous years. There are a few that I really liked, you know, like um, liked seeing Chris Savage and, and uh, Jason Freed and Patrick Campbell, I thought were all great. The other ones were sort of mediocre, but I, I, I was talking to somebody and I couldn't figure out like they probably were really good talks, but maybe it's just my perception of them now at in, at this stage, you know? It yeah. Didn't... And that's, that's what I meant to be my point as well, which is that I, I feel like I can get so much value from the people that I have relationships with now that it's harder for me to get a similar level of value from a talk that's intended for a wide audience. Whereas like you and I have known each other for years now. And like you have been aware of like what I'm doing since the start. And so it's like you and I can drop into a conversation and we have so much context immediately. How do you compete with that from the stage? Yeah, I, I was going up to, um, you know, we have a lot of the same uh, circle of friends here. And at like the parties at MicroConf, every 20 minutes or so, I would I would go find them. And we all kind of have the same <laughs> like like look of relief. Like, ah, we don't have to talk about like, oh, what are you working on? Like, like who are you? And, and we can just talk about stuff that we already know about, <laughs> you know? Mm hmm I wonder if this is happening to other people. Like if this is like a broad trend, just because microcom's been around for long enough now that there's an increasingly large cohort of people in this spot. Also, you know, I know that there are a, a bunch of people who go, who go to Vegas, but they don't go to microcom. They just go to to be in the in the town at this time to meet up with people, which is fine. But I I still like attending microcom. You know, like I I still like having the event to go to. Maybe I won't go to all the talks or or whatever but like i still think it's 
it's cool to to be a part of the of the actual thing that's going on and be a part of of making it what it is you know even just as as an attendee yep i had some great conversations honestly at like lunch just like sitting down next to people i didn't know and talking to them and uh, just geeking out on stuff so yeah I, i i hear that yeah and i mean like you i'm definitely in the in the mindset now of like um i go back mainly just to catch up with my friends and have have that one in-person gathering. I, I have a few other gatherings throughout the year, but this is the one where everyone is going to be there. But I do still have the goal of like, it, it'd be cool to meet five or 10 new interesting people that I don't, cause, because you'll always meet somebody who's doing something really cool and they're doing it very quietly. You don't know about them. Yeah, and you, you can't tell. You can't just like look at someone and be like, oh, they're doing something cool. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people will surprise you. Yeah, and there are a few people who, you know, I... I've talked to them a bunch on Twitter and stuff, and I just had no idea what they looked like until meeting right. Hallway, you know? Yeah. People pretty much always tell me that um, they're surprised at how tall I am because I don't sound that tall on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's always it's always that. It's always like meeting people on in person after knowing them online. The, the height factor is always weird. <laughs> sure. So you have the good taste to be a listener of this podcast. I'm curious, do you ever have things you want to like yell at us or say to us as you're listening? Okay, I'll put this out. I, I already told you this um, about a year ago. Jordan and I are, we're from New York. And, and I think there's part of this, this personality of, of growing up in that, in that area for some reason where you could just say whatever, you could be as critical as you want and just have at it. And it's just normal conversation. <laughs> and I feel like I listen to you guys sometimes and, and I think both of you to a set to a certain extent are kind of holding back i'd like to hear more like like dig in challenge each other more ask more questions of each other you think we're like pulling punches with each other a little bit maybe not that like everything needs to be a tear down or anything like that but like there are just some sometimes when it's just like you know you're sort of just listing off updates and and i'd like to hear somebody the other person like dig into that more yeah yeah Sometimes I'm literally um, thinking of the next thing. I'm like, like what are we going to say after this? Or like, have I talked enough? Or whose turn is it? How long have we gone? So sometimes I'm kind of like, cool, cool. Sounds good. Anyway, uh, so part of that is like podcast management technique or something. I, I know what you're referring to, I think. I'm not doing it currently, but I had an interview show going for a while on, on the Productize podcast. And that's that does take a lot more of that mental energy as the interviewer to like think through what's my next question and I, I do want to listen and have a, a smart follow-up, but I also need to plan where this is going and, and stuff like that. But like with Jordan and I think with you guys, it's, you know, you can literally just talk like your friends and I mean, you, you do that obviously, but like I tend to like the um, just digging in and, and, and real conversation, you know? Yeah, I, I do too. Like I noticed that about podcasts I listen to where like someone throws something out like, hold on, hold on, say that again, like get, get into that a little bit more and like get some details in there. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's good feedback. The other thing, feedback on the air. Oh yeah, more. Well, (laughs) well, I know that you guys are 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 starting to do the two times a week. Um, I don't know if you're sticking with that or not, but like, I'm curious to to see how that plays out. Because for for me, um, with with Jordan, like, I don't think we would have enough to talk about if if it's every two or three days. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that we will either. And like one thought I had is we could bring in more guests as we're having more shows. So maybe it's like half of them are guests and half are us or some proportion. 
but I just kind of wanted to see what would happen. I, I am interested in growing the audience a bit. I used to not care at all. And now like I kind of want to see the numbers creeping up. And they are, which is cool. Um, we have more downloads in March than the previous month, like, but kind of obviously because we're just there's just more episodes. So, so you so, look at that stuff? <laughs> I mean, a little bit, like mostly no. It's not something. It's not not one of the metrics that I like spend much time thinking about. Yeah, I, like, I haven't um, looked at Bootstrap Web in at least over a year, if, if not mm-hmm. longer. Um, what are you using, like Castos or Transistor? Or uh, Fireside. Okay, it's fine. They give you pretty good metrics. Mm, it's fine yeah (laughs) i just emailed them because like it's kind of ugly design wise and i was like i'm thinking about switching podcast hosts because your metrics are not visually appealing and easy to parse and like that's such a stupid reason and i don't want to switch podcast hosts so for a while we had bootstrapped web hosted on um uh what was it called like blueberry okay um which was just such a disaster to to even log into and find what you need like it, it's a it's just terrible in there so that's that's why yep. i never touched it but then we uh then we migrated over to, to castos and that's been really smooth but again i don't ever log into it so i don't even yeah hmm. yeah i guess i care a little bit like and, and one thing i've noticed is like a lot of our customers are coming from the podcast and so it's like okay maybe it's worth expanding the reach of that a bit like it's kind of a nice marketing channel for us and the people that that do sign up for Tuple after listening to the podcast have all the context. So it's like, I'll start like getting ready to do a demo. They're like, no, nah, I, I I get it. Like I, I've been listening to you for months. I know what's going on. I was like, okay, cool. That's handy. Especially going to MicroConf. Uh, that's that's where you, I, I'm, I'm sure for you too, a lot of your listeners are there at MicroConf. For sure. Yeah, actually it was cool. I, I polled the audience. So I spoke at Starter and during my talk, I just asked people to raise their hands if they listened to the podcast. And it was probably half that's awesome. Close to that. It's probably 40 to 50%. It was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool for us to, to meet so many people who just listen and we don't really know that they're there, especially people we haven't met before. Totally. Um, and I feel like all, literally all of our listeners are like in the room. Like that's all of them right there. Like there's no, there's no one else outside of Vegas. Maybe. At least who knows? Like, yeah. You guys have been doing it for a while. Yeah. It's been like yeah. years now, right? Yeah. Uh, at least two years. I don't mm-hmm. know. I feel like more people should be podcasting. Like you and I are friends because of your podcast. Like I found your podcast when I was still working a job, like a normal job. And I was like, this is so cool. And like, you were just spinning up audience ops. And I was like, this is such a badass thing. It was through your podcast that I heard about Big Snow. And so I went to Big Snow. And then because of that, I went to MicroConf. And because of that, I did all this stuff. So I was like, that was, that was quite the, the gateway drug for me. I think it's great. I, I do think that more especially like bootstrappers, people building stuff in this world um, should find a friend and, and have a podcast. And it, and I think a lot of people have this thing like, Oh, it has to be useful. It has to be actionable. It ha- we have to teach people something or, or we have to have interesting guests and interesting interviews. It doesn't have to be like that. Just find someone who's also working on interesting things and talk about updates and dig into it. And yes it's, it's the ongoing story that's what's interesting totally you know? and and tell me about it because i want to listen like i i, I want yeah. i want more podcasts like this in my life yeah just be open about about the stuff and um yeah yes yeah. exactly share stuff that's embarrassing if you can handle it you know like try to share the highs and the lows i'm psyched that honey badger is doing this now like that's like that's like the right kind of thing where it's like a couple founders talking around sitting around talking about business and what's going on and telling stories and that's actually one that i'm not up on i've got to i'm gonna check that out it just it just hit it just came out it's new 
Cool. So we'll see where they take it. Uh, but uh, so far, so good. The cool thing about these kinds of shows where it's like, you know, just friends giving updates on their on their startups is that it's totally boring to most of the world. <laughs> and like only mm-hmm. only people like us are really going to tune in. So if you have that sort of sense about it, like you don't have to be so nervous or, or like hold back anything because it's like, you know, at first it's 10, 20 people and then and then it's a couple hundred people. Maybe you get a thousand or two people, but like really that's probably it in our in our world. And that's totally mm-hmm. fine. And it, and that's and that's more than enough to, to build a pretty good network of potential customers, potential and people that you hire, partner with, introductions, whatever it may be, you know. Yeah. And there's totally this phenomenon where like one or two of the right connections can totally change what's going on for you. So, you know, don't worry about hundreds or thousands of downloads. It's just about that one right person. Totally. Yeah. You know, we're on a car a car trip or something and I'll, and I'll play something in the car. My wife listens in like she hates it when I l- play, you know, shows like yours or like Craig and Dave. She's just like, all right, I don't care about what these people are droning on about. But for me, these are like my favorite three podcasts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Very polarizing art of product. <laughs> That's right. Um, so you have been learning to code. You can almost yeah. say like you learned to code. You got like you made a product. People are paying you money for Sunrise KPI. Uh, a few people. A little bit. <laughs> not, yeah. not that many. Um, yeah, yeah. But the one that I'm working on now, Process Kit, is um, I, I got to say, I'm really proud of this product that I'm making right now. It It's not anywhere close to being shippable, but this feels like the best thing that I've built on the web. I, I've been building a lot of stuff on the web for, for more than a decade. And you pushed me to actually choose to learn to code about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. And I'm so glad that that you and the other guys at, at the trip did. And it's been such a huge step up because I I was a front-end person. I still am a very much a front-end designer, HTML, CSS, jQuery was familiar, using WordPress was very familiar to me. I did that for many years. But the back-end, opening up the terminal, dealing with databases, for so many years there, I was just like, that is not my world. I, I don't want to touch that. I have no business touching that. I should let other people do it because they have some magical powers that I don't have. And, um, and getting over that, it, I'm, I'm kicking myself because uh, these days in 2019, I feel like if you're building anything on the web, if, if, you, if you consider yourself any sort of designer for, on the web, and I, and I do, building the the product from front to back is a design exercise like you're designing how how data is interacting with each other from from the database to how it shows on the screen like it's all part of the product that you're designing and and the previous iteration of this thing that I that I had built which was co- or no that I had launched called ops calendar um, which I'll soon be kind of sunsetting and process kit is is intended to sort of replace that and be a new version I designed it every detail of it i did all the front end work on it but i hired developers to build the back end and i spent a good forty thousand dollars on that over over the course of a 12 to 18 months something like that you know overseas and they were pretty good they they built what i asked them to build but at that time i i did not understand the back end fully i i I don't want to say that i i wasn't not a totally non-technical founder because i i did understand like the how systems work and and 
in the front end of things, obviously, but like the database models and the, and the choice in technology, the choice in, in frameworks and things to like, I, I had no experience with that stuff. And it, it turned out to be pretty detrimental for the product. Like a year and a year and a half in, we hit a wall where it was like, Oh, we have to upgrade from Vue.js one to Vue.js two. And then it broke everything and they didn't write any, any test coverage whatsoever. And it was like, and like even early on in that project, like I didn't understand the concept of a, of a SPA single page application. And, and they were all hyped about that. So they built everything like an SPA, which it shouldn't have been, you know? And so it's just like things like that. Like now as, as a designer, you know, like I know how the product is supposed to be built and now I can actually build it that way. I feel very slow and inexperienced in doing it, but um, it, I, I feel like I'm, I am building a better product myself, even, even having just learned rails in the past year, than the one that I paid $40,000 to have built. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's already clearly a better product test coverage, reliability, you know, everything is thought through. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's better. Yeah. I, I think if you don't have a technical person on your founding team, and since you're your whole founding team, I, th- I think you're just, it's really hard to get a good result out of that. It's possible, but I think you're just so much more likely to have like some serious missteps. Yeah. I'm fully in the like, if you want to build a software business, learn to code. Even even if you are going to find a technical co-founder, I think you can. Like, I still think you should have that proficiency. It's just it, it just feels like too much of a handicap. I know some people that have made it work without it, but I think they just it was a harder path for them. I think it's net harder than just learning to code. Like, learning to code is not easy, but starting a software business is also not easy, and it's so much harder if you can't actually be proficient. Yeah. So I. Yeah, I mean, and, lear- learning you know learning the the language and how how different things interact with each other and. And just learning the process, you know, understanding what when you ask a developer to do something, what's actually going to go into that work. If you're completely non-technical, it can feel like, well, this button in Gmail is so easy for me to click and it does this magical thing. Like it, it must be just as easy to build it. Like, no, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's also just a life asset. Like it's useful for when you're building a software company, but now you can write code like you can just use that for any task that comes up before you for the rest of your life. And it's, it's got it so powerful. I mean, that's, it's, it's been a complete career changer for me. I feel like in, in the last year, you know, I'm focused on building process kit right now. And, and I hope that that'll be the thing that I focus on, but it might not be, but I, I know for certain that my next years, several years of business will be software focused. No doubt about that. You know? Yep. I think even people that don't necessarily want to start a software company, it's worth learning. Like I have a friend that. Uh, at least previously worked at a bank and like had enough programming chops that he was like the best Excel person and could write like Excel macros and and, like some VB script that no one else could. And it was like a huge force multiplier on him. And so like he was getting promoted and he very quickly became the guy like, oh, if you don't know how to do this, go ask him. And even though he wasn't programming full time, it was like his like a key skill for him that made him so much more valuable. Yeah, I mean, I remember just... um just years ago, just just being a web designer, being able to build a website, that made everything look like such a huge opportunity. When you can build things on the web, that's when shiny object syndrome comes in. Because like anything you see, you're like, yeah, I could build at least a website for that, you know. Um, but if you could build software, that to, and and you're in some other industry like finance or you know where wherever, you could start to look at things like, oh, that's inefficient. 
software can help that software can help that it just just having that know-how definitely opens those doors you know if you're like me and, and you come from a background in design and you can build basic websites you know front end html css the truth is learning app development web development backend development it's it doesn't have to be that complicated and it doesn't have to be in my opinion doesn't have to be as complicated as a lot of developers would have you think today. Not anyone personally, but there's just these trends of everyone going to the Reacts and Views and and these complex cutting edge JavaScript frameworks, everything abstracted. It does not have to be like that. <laughs> you know, like I'm, right now I'm, I'm building Process Kit, which is a pretty complex, it's a CRUD app, but it's 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 pretty complex. There's a lot to it. Ruby on Rails, HTML, CSS, vanilla JavaScript, and uh, I'm using Stimulus.js, which is a very lightweight um, front-end markup-focused sprinkling of JavaScript. That's it. Yeah, you know. that's the way to go. Honestly, like for most things, like if your if your app is a CRUD app and most apps are CRUD apps, you probably want the minimum amount of JavaScript possible. And the, but like that's not what's sexy right now. It's just like not like like if you went to NASA develop like what what are people doing like oh no you oh you need all this different stuff and it's just like man that's it's just it's not my favorite ecosystem I'll be honest yeah I mean maybe what I'm talking about it sounds naive because I'm not I'm not very no experienced I agree with, with you stuff. I've been around <laughs> the block I'm on the same page yeah but I mean like it, just using Process Kit right now it is snappy and fast in the browser. You don't have to refresh every every button click. It's it, Every interaction is using Ajax or Stimulus.js and and just popping stuff onto the page, popping it off. Like it's, I don't know, It's it, it, it achieves the same end user effect as like a one of these fancy single page apps, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's this phenomenon where like, almost no one would admit it i think but programmers kind of love complexity they actually really like it when it's like complicated and weird and hard and so if you just keep throwing more complexity at them they're like oh yeah this is great i again i come from it like a designer i'm like how can i put html here and and and, and move some html over there <laughs> and like it, for me it's, it, it all comes back to front-end markup and and then doing some some work to to, to shift that markup around, you know? Mm. Yeah. So hashtag worth it learning programming. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a little bit goofy to be like a software product creator and not be able to make the software. It's just totally like, just, you're so hamstrung. Totally. Here's something that I think you're a good person to talk to about pricing, but also customer research. That's something that I'm heavily into right now. This isn't so much a question as like an observation. So with Process Kit, it, it will be priced per user. And I'm starting to, and, I, and what I'm doing is I'm having calls with people on the early access list, probably about three of them a week right now. And I've had maybe 25, 30 over the past few months. And I'm trying to get a sense of like, what level of the market should I be targeting this at? And that also determines what my pricing should be and what my pricing should not be and everything. And I'm talking to people who a bunch of people have anywhere from like two to five people. And that that's usually just 
maybe one or two partners and a couple of freelancers that they work with. And then there's a, there's a lot in the five to 15 range. And that's usually a mix of some full-time employees and, and a few contractors. And then I talk to a bunch of people who are like 20, 25 and, and up like larger teams. First of all, what I, what I found is, is the people who are five and below, some of them would have a use case for this, but I should not price toward them at all. My first instinct was, was wrong, which was like, this sort of has overlap with some of the cheaper project management systems out there. So I should cater to that. Um, I'm not like, I'm not going to do a free plan not even going to have a single user plan. Like the base plan is going to give you three users. And then after that, it's per user above that. Um, So I think that that lower plan would cater to them. The five to 15, I think is the perfect batch because, because they are in this growth phase. They're, they've grown to, to somewhere around 10 employees and their processes, They've started to develop them, but they haven't settled on a on a good system that works at that level. They're, things are sort of in flux at that at that point, which means they're open to to trying out tools and getting on board. And then I spoke to somebody who, yesterday who has twenty five or he has like thirty people in a very highly optimized like productized service. They would be a great customer. They they would pay a lot for for process kit. Process kit would be a perfect tool for their use case, but they are so invested already in the tools that they're using, you know, because they've, they've gotten to that level of, of, of team size that it would be just too difficult to get them to switch onto process kit, I think. So, so what I'm learning is like target those 15 to 20 people on that and then they'll grow into the, into the larger team with it, you know? Yeah. That sounds sensible i i did a, a bunch of customer development stuff when we were making tuple but i didn't i didn't come away with it with a good sense of who our ideal customer would be like i kind of just missed that <laughs> part yeah. of the assignment or something yeah like I, I i knew a lot about people that were interested in it and like i did a lot of surveys and whatnot but still like i remember we launched and we're like like days before launch like this is gonna be great like freelancers are gonna use this and like give it to other people and they're like wait like, like it took <laughs> took like months before like before i was like wait a minute like no, this is for teams, you idiot. Right. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know how we blew that, but there it was. Well, it's for, it's for parents. So you at least need two people. For- well, it's definitely, yeah, for, for two. <laughs> but like in my mind, like my friends who wanted it and like a lot of the people I talked to were like, oh, like solo operators that like, I like maybe they, they teach over pair programming or they like freelance for clients and they want to pair with the client or something like that. Well, when and I first heard, like, heard about it, I heard you talking about it. For, that's sort of what I assumed. And I don't really have any experience with pair programming. I don't know how companies do it. But I, I always assumed that it was sort of aimed at like people mentoring people, some mm. form of that. That's you know? a big benefit of it for sure. Yeah. But I, I could see how you're the better customer for you is the is the company who, who kind of has it in their culture. Yeah. And that's that's another thing that we've sort of settled on is like not really that interested in trying to sell people on pairing exactly. Like sometimes people will be like, I want to get Tubal because I want to bring pairing to my company it's like mm, that probably won't work just because most of the time you can't change culture like it's very hard um if you have a better tool it might happen i would say it's more likely to happen but what the people that are ideal for us right now are, are just like we already do this we don't like the tools we have please give us something better then that's good it sounded like you had like a question you wanted to ask me or something about price or development yeah so on on the pricing right now i'm i'm still like undecided on a few 
things because it's like, I, I just don't know exactly how companies are going to use. I have a sense of like what, what the tool is intended to be used for. I think I'm going to start by just doing 50 as the base plan gives you three users and then 20 a user after that. And it's one plan, all the features are in it. Um, that's sort of what I'm, where I'm heading. And, and hopefully within the next two months or so is when I'll start having users and, and seeing who's actually willing to pull out their credit card. Because there are other things I could do. I could break it out like certain features are only available at the higher tier. Um, there's been some some requests for like, well, what if we have a lot of guest users? How do we pay for those? And like, I, I have some ideas on how I can handle those, but I, I don't want to do anything about it until I actually have users. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe one of the most important things in SaaS is the lowest number on your pricing page. Like I think a lot of people end up in that lowest plan by default. Like, well, we'll start here and see how it goes. And so like because so many people end up in that bucket, the number on that plan matters more than maybe almost mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah. So just the fact that you're start the fact that the cheapest I can pay like the least I can pay you is fifty, I think is like a, a really good starting place. All right. I, I feel like I'm like four weeks or so away from having the product ready to invite first users. And um, like, when do I start charging them? Um, mm-hmm. How do I start to do some form of marketing other than just having the early access page up? Like um, it, it is tough to get that stuff rolling while I'm building the product every day. But yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. That's just things on my mind I'm trying to organize and figure out over the next two months. Yeah, that sounds tough. I mean, I, I feel very fortunate to be able to like focus a little bit because we have more people. And just be like, all right, I'm not going to think about coding. I'm going to think about sales for the next handful of days. It's like super nice. Yeah. Like the only non-product building thing that I'm making an effort to do is, is to make sure that I have two or three of these calls scheduled every week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I basically just have a reminder every Monday to go to the list and ask a few people for a call. All right. So you eventually took my wise counsel and decided to learn to code. Yeah. Can I also convince you to have no free plan on Sunrise KPI? I totally agree. I want to kill the free plan and see what conversions would look like if I just went to a free trial. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am doing my best to not have shiny object syndrome this year. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, uh, that that makes sense. If if you don't if you don't think that's the business, then you should probably just stay away from it. Like I could do it, but it it requires some code changes in the app, and that means at least half a day of work, probably more like a full day because I'm my focus has shifted away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's and right now I just feel like every day is so valuable to get me closer to process kit launching that like I, I don't yeah. want to touch it. Yeah, I mean, so you working on Sunrise KPI is is me having shiny object syndrome like i'm excited <laughs> by it because it's new to me yeah. yeah yeah so you should almost definitely stay away from it one tweak that i made pretty early on was i it started with you can connect four metrics for free mm-hmm. and and i i brought that down to three <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, and i don't think that had any real impact so yeah that's... it has something like i don't know nine or ten paying customers on it right now but it's uh okay it's you know the nice thing though this is sort of a surprise is you know you think about a free plan oh this the customer support load on a free plan like how are you going to sustain that i'm not exaggerating here i have literally had like 
three, if that, maybe two or three customer support emails about Sunrise KPI. And there are hundreds, maybe close to a thousand free users at this point. Mm. I mean, that's pretty um, legit. And, and like some of those were even just reporting bugs in the app. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been, it's a very simple app and I have instructions kind of embedded right there inside the app. So it's, it's really hard to like not figure out how to use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're, I mean, you're getting the normal freemium results ish. Like yeah. you have a thousand free, you have 10 paid, you're like 1%. That's like about right. Yeah. Or about normal. I wish you could rewind time and just see what would happen if you just like had that same momentum, but charge everybody I'm curious. I'm cu- I am curious too, especially because it, it did so well on Product Hunt, which I did not mm-hmm. expect. I didn't even put I didn't even put it on Product Hunt. Somebody else did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was sort of big for it. And if and if I had the pricing better optimized, that would have been good. Yeah, I, I think there's an appetite for simple apps out there. Mm. Like, like I think the fact that like the, this is just like such an easy to understand thing, and it feels tightly scoped. It just feels like an easy win in a way or something like if, i think it appeals to people in a way that more complicated things wouldn't there are a lot of like really complicated dashboardy data analysis type things yeah uh, and the fact that this is like an easy version of that i think would it just sort of resonates the thing that i that the whole idea for it for me was to have it be email based mm-hmm. you know? um i just want my numbers emailed to me every morning that's it yep email's a great interface yep. Based, <laughs> I've, I've made a lot of apps where email is interface and it's awesome Totally. I think there's one um, called followup.cc. I've been uh-huh. paying that, whatever it is, 15 bucks a month for at least four or five years now. Mm. And, it, and it like runs my whole life. So <laughs> it's legit. Yep. Yeah. I, I use superhuman now for follow-up stuff. It's, it's great. Yep. What's up with you? What's the, what's the update on, in uh, Tupelo land? Um, things are going great. I started emailing the list um, and being like, yo, uh, here's a price. And uh, do you want to buy it? And people are buying it. We signed up uh, 10 customers this week, which is pretty nice. cool. Um, yeah. So what, so what is the pricing at now? Like, how are you presenting it to them? Uh, well, it's still not public. Okay. <laughs> I still, right. I'm still not ready so to Don't commit. answer that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not going to answer that question exactly. Um, but we do have like a pretty cheap, like your first month is a flat fee. To, and you could bring on the whole team, test it with everyone. Uh, and that that seems to be getting good uptake. And then there's like a certain per seat price after that, after your first month. Got it. Um, and so when you're going to the list, you in, in that email, you kind of show them show them like yes. what the pricing is for them. Correct. Yep. I've done like 10% of the list. I think the next batch I send out will have slightly different numbers. Just so I, I've tested a lot of price points, but one thing I haven't done is like been like scientific about it. So I would like try just different numbers and see what worked, but I wasn't tracking like what's my conversion percentage at different numbers and like what has the highest actual like revenue at the end of the other side. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm going to try to be a little bit better about that with this like this this batch. I think that's always been a, a weak point for me is being super data analytical about stuff like that. I lean so much more heavily on my conversations with customers mm-hmm. and, and just observing customers' behavior. And like mm-hmm. just, just like basically developing a hunch around around a product, whether it's the features or the pricing, or I do I have developed like patterns. Like I know that, like I like we were talking about earlier, the the fifteen the five to fifteen users are better than the thirty plus users because I've had a bunch of those conversations. 
I, I think also because in, in most of my businesses, like in audience ops, it's not a high volume game. And so the only way to really analyze the data is to look back at the whole year and yeah, see, yeah. see what, what changed. Like I can't run a, a test for a week and, and right. sort of conclusions, you know? Yeah. Th- this feels like a, a temporary opportunity that I have where I have all these emails. And so I can do some split test things now that would be harder to do later because I just want to have the same volume, I think. So try to take yeah. advantage of it. Yeah. But yeah, things are, things are good. The app is good. I did, I recorded a little demo video today just to, to show to people. And I was like, yeah, we, we did some good stuff here. Have you, um, I haven't looked at it recently. I'm pulling it up right now. I hope it won't mess up this call, but have you updated the, the marketing site? No, it, it, it needs it. It's time. Yeah. I was wondering, cause that's also on my mind about, about process kit. Normally I, I would design it myself, but I think this time I'm going to hire a, uh, a designer. So if there's a really good designer out there, I'm, I'm looking for someone in the next few weeks. Um, mm-hmm. and, nice. um, I'm wondering like, are you going to do that? Are you going to, are you going to have like a, you know, dev- devote a whole project to getting that squared away? Yes. I don't know exactly when I, I need to kind of sit down and figure out the sequence of things like that. Like, It'd be nice to have, but I mean, we're we're signing up a lot of customers without it, so it's kind of like doesn't feel like the highest priority. Yeah, like I'd rather add more MRR and get more teams in here than have a nice marketing site, right? Uh, but eventually, I really want it, so somewhere in there. And I, I think we also we, we'll probably also hire out for that. I have some ideas and some guidance that I want to give, but I, also, I don't really want to be writing CSS or like Tailwind. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll probably build the marketing site, but the uh, I just want it to look amazing, <laughs> you know, and, and I feel like I'm a good enough designer to make things look, to make information come across clearly, but I'm, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have that ability that some designers do to, to be like, holy shit, that looks so, so awesome. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I plan over the, over the years to spend kind of a lot of money on design because I care about it and I want to have like a beautiful tool and beautiful web stuff. Um, and I think our audience will appreciate it. Yeah. And a lot of developer tools or like some of the developer tools are just ugly. And it's just like, wow, like let's not do that. That sounds terrible. Yeah. The other thing I, I, I think I will hire out for that I don't normally do is copywriting. Um, like I think what I'm probably going to do is, is write like a first pass of, of the, of the site copy mm-hmm. um, the way that I normally would and then hand it to to somebody who who can just go through and make it punchier make it more interesting funnier interesting. whatever it is you know I have I have this skepticism around that for some reason like maybe, maybe it's an overestimation of my own abilities but I, mean, I should probably try hiring someone at some point just to see I've always agreed with that, that like I think the founder if, if the founder is, is the first person selling the product which mm-hmm. in most cases it, it is. I think that's definitely a skill that you should hone is being able to write strong marketing copy for the things that you want to sell. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think it's, it's easier to pick up that skill than learning to code, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've always done that, but, I, but I'm not a full-time copywriter by any means. And so at any time I've, I've gotten like, um, you know, suggestions from, from professional copywriters on my copy that it always improves it, you know, mm. Mm. but that's why I, I like the model of, you know, the founder writing the first pass and then yep. have a, have a, 
real copywriter come in and improve it so that at least they know where you want it to go. And, right. Yeah. yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. That sounds reasonable. It's probably worth giving it a try. I watched like four copywriting talks on MicroConf this year, I think it was. Yeah, I did like um, Copy Hackers. Uh, Joanna Weep. Yeah. Um, I've seen her speak a bunch of times and and uh, it, I thought she had a really good talk this year, just very simple and actionable, talking about certain words. I think most people don't kind of dumb their talk down enough like that. Yes. Like I, I like that she kept it like real straightforward. That was good. Yep. All right. Well, I know, I know you got to go, so I'm going to let you run, I think. Yeah. It's good to uh, thanks for coming yeah. on. I appreciate you co-hosting. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Keep up the keep up the podcasts. Thanks, man. I will. You too. <laughs> Consider uh posting way more. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh if you'd like to get the show notes for this episode, that's artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.